0: Oh, hey, thanks so much for joining me today on the Cocktie Podcast. I'm your host, Gary. In case you're new to the show, I'm the editor and janitor here at Fortnerd.com. You may have seen me as the DM on Quest for the Cure or Iceholes Rime of the Frostmaiden, as Cicero on Cyberpunk Independence, or sailing on the SS Failboat over on the Talon and Claw Twitch channel. Today is release day candle keep mysteries finally drops wherever fine rpg books are sold as always there's an alternate art cover that's available featuring fine gold lettering it's perhaps my favorite alternate art cover so far you might consider running off to your friendly local game store and grabbing a copy of course you can get the book wherever books are sold but the alternate art cover is only available at your flgs I'll have lots more coverage on Candlekeep over at Fortner.com, and a whole bonus podcast episode dedicated to the content in the new book, so stay tuned for that. This weekend is Talon and Claw's TwitchCon, raising money for Jasper's game day. I'm going to add a link to the schedule in the show notes, but there's events on Friday night, all day Saturday, and all day Sunday. There's D&D, Cyberpunk, Trivia, and of course, Sea of these. It's going to be an action-packed weekend for an amazing cause. With over two thousand dollars in prizes for viewers and donors, it'll feel good to give as well. Tonight is the first episode of Heroes of the Plains. At 6 p.m. PST, you can join DM Todd Kenrick and many of the heroes from D&D Beyond's former shows as they undertake a new adventure series. You'll be able to find the show on Twitch.tv slash Demiplane RPG. I'll of course include that in the show notes. Getting back to these characters again is awesome. I know many were sad to see the D&D Beyond show end, so I'm sure they'll tune in anxiously for this new one that brings them all together. I'm curious how we're going to see Orkira in particularly return, as she's also appearing on D4. Lauren Urban on Twitter said there would be an explanation, so I definitely look forward to hearing that. Today my guest is Chris Siddiqui. Chris is an actor, comedian and he's one-third of a DD and d actual play podcast called Dwarven Moss. It's an exquisitely produced, high-quality D&D podcast. It's unique because there's only two players and a DM running through Curse of Strahd. Two players and a DM seems insane to me, but based on the quality of their show, they're definitely making it work. I hope you enjoy my chat with Chris Siddiqui. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for joining with me. I really appreciate it. Oh,
1: thanks so much for
0: having me, Gary. Much appreciated, man. It's my pleasure. So my first question to you, sir, what was your first experience with Dungeons & Dragons?
1: Okay, first, you know what? I will say this. My first experience with Dungeons & Dragons was having the first edition Monster Manual, the Gary Gygax Monster Manual and Player's Handbook. When I was a kid, I have no idea where I got them. (laughs) Okay, okay. I just grew up with them and it was one of those things where I would go to the monster manual and just flip through the pages. You know what I mean? Look at all the different mm-hmm. weird bug bears and goblins. And it was all that like janky eighties art, Yeah, but it was still great. And I was looking at percentages and I didn't know what any of this stuff, a hit percentage. I didn't know what that meant. So I, I feel like that was my first like in with John. at the very least, I had the textbooks in my hands, flipping through the pages when I was yeah. under 10. Um, Fast forward to <laughs> maybe, I guess, mid, early to mid-30s. Okay. And uh, my friend was like, hey, let's play Dungeons & Dragons in the basement of the comedy bar. I was like, great, let's do it. Every Monday afternoon we meet. Me, it was a handful of friends. Yeah. And my friend Jack, who was also, he's a improviser, comedian, actor. He was our dungeon master. And he took us through a campaign. And I can't remember if, again, if it was first edition or ad and d or whatever but that was my first proper dungeons and dragons campaign
0: okay do you have it do you have any memories of that first official game so you were a kid you didn't know what any of it meant but when you actually got together with those friends in the basement of the comedy bar and you rolled that d20 for the first time do you have any memories of that game
1: I have very vivid memories. I have memories of um, doing the actual physical thing of, of rolling the D20 and then having to roll, you know, 2D8 or D6 and yes. hearing about my friends' characters, what they picked. Yeah. And I, th- I remember just getting a swell of, oh, my God, I'm actually playing this now. Yeah. This is really great. It was just the sense of, like, you know, it's one of those games where it's like, oh, I feel like I could do it. I feel like I could play golf or swing a baseball bat or whatever and you spend so long looking at other people doing it and when you're finally doing it you're like okay okay I was just and I'm also like just a super smiley dude and I just remember smiling through the whole first session (laughs) just like okay for whatever reason it was just unbelievable to me that we were doing it but I remember that so fondly it sounds
0: like you had really positive childhood associations with the game with the art with the books and so now it seems like you had the chance to do it and you're like,
1: wow, this is cool. And you know what I think it was too? I, I'm just, I'm a huge lover of video games and I love role-playing games mm-hmm. for video games. So I think it was also that fact is that I always, I knew that these role-playing games were all about role-playing.
0: Yeah. So
1: it was the beauty of like, I'm kind of, you're you're at the most binary with Dungeons and Dragons that you can be when it's pen and paper and dice. You're not yeah. sitting in front of a computer or whatever. So I think it was also the love of that. It was just a love of role-playing games, all culminating into this one thing.
0: Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, you're a comedian, an actor, an improviser. I'm curious, did you always know that you wanted to be a performer? Yes. Yeah?
1: I wasn't much good at anything other than making people laugh, Gary. I had to... (laughs) I had to realize that as a slow build throughout my entire childhood, I'm not good at this. I'm not good. I am good at other things, but I mean, come on, my bread and butter is, I think is just getting in front of people and making them laugh and being silly. So yeah, it was either that or be a teacher. And I mean, come on, who wants to really be in a teacher these days? I mean,
0: well, you know, love, love, love those teachers. It's, it's a challenge. I mean, I say that challenging my mother job. and my little sister is a teacher. So, yeah it's like for any any teacher any teacher listening is uh it was clearly clearly a joke you should see his face
1: clearly a joke please you're one of the most essential workers we have yeah
0: Yeah. said every parent during the middle of a pandemic my god take my kids back take my kids back Yeah. so when did you realize that this was going to be your your job for the rest of your life at what point
1: it was in, I guess it was in my my mid-20s. I was putting myself through school mm-hmm. and uh, I cho- I couldn't do a, a a master's in anything or a major's or whatever it is. Yeah. Because uh, it was just too much money, a lot of time. And so I, I decided to do a specialist in film because I just okay. love film. Right, right. Uh, love movies. Uh, but also that just <laughs> was money that I, I didn't have. Again, I was working full time and trying to buy all these textbooks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was in my early twenties where I was like, you know what? I really should just sign up for comedy classes and stand up was always one of my biggest loves, but mm-hmm. I was insanely scared and yeah. intimidated to do it. Uh, but I grew up watching whose line is it anyway? Mm-hmm. Uh, my entire childhood. Cause uh, I mean, all of us know who grew up with YTV, that thing was just yeah. afternoon fodder right? everywhere. So I grew up as a kid going, I know I could do that. I could do that. So I signed up for Second City, the very early classes. I signed up at a a theater that used to be in the East End called the Bad Dog Theater, Yeah. uh, very early. And from then it was just like, I was kind of in my element. I was doing classes. From there I rolled into doing shows. From there I rolled into doing my own shows to Mm -hmm. teaching classes. And then I was like, okay, yeah, this is who I am and what I do. And it was just a, a bunch of just training. I, I mean, I guess training really translates into doing hundreds and hundreds of shows for yeah. free for strangers. <laughs> right. And then paying hundreds of hundreds of dollars for doing classes at Second City and Bad Dog and playing around with my friends. Uh, and then the Second City asks, you, hey, you want to understudy the main stage? And then they ask you, hey, we're out a brown guy. Do you want to be in the main stage? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Let's do it. Uh so yeah, from there, uh, you know, and Second City just kind of, I mean, it's that was my university. I think after dropping out of U of T, it was really mm-hmm. building my 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 comedy career at Second City was really my university.
0: Right. Yeah, I, uh, I I didn't do any of the improv classes, but I did do some of the stand-up classes myself at Second City yeah. down, down in the dungeon. Um with Ted. Yeah, right? Yeah.
1: Just off King Street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, I know that fond memories of that place
0: (laughs) as a performer how do you differentiate yourself when there are so many people competing for the same types of opportunities like what 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 is the what is your how do you do that
1: yeah wow that's a good go that's a question i'm constantly asking my even today i'm like what do i need to do Mm -hmm. uh I mean, I, I think it's, you know, performing, I feel, is, is kind of like anything, like learning an instrument or getting good at something. You have to do it a bunch to realize what you're comfortable with, what you're good at. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think there's a lot of people who, you know, start comedy and they don't really know what they're good at yet. They might be great at writing jokes, but they don't have the stage presence yet. Right. Or for myself, I think it was actually the opposite. I had a lot of stage presence, but I wasn't really a great writer that I took I needed to take a lot of time and I needed to gather my thoughts more and focus more um but I also know that I'm really good with voices doing voices and and character work uh so I knew oh, I could really lean into that Mm -hmm. and that became very handy because when you then you know I branch out and became a voice actor as well and did kids cartoons and and different things so I think it's really that it's really sort of honing in on what you do very well and, and really leaning into that. I'm finding yeah. now, too, it's it's tough because, you know, as we sit in this pandemic and yeah. we, we're, our interests kind of spread out a lot. I love now I love Dungeons and Dragons and I love writing Dungeons and Dragons. And I love I mean, if I could put all the time I spent on preparing a character for a campaign, into actual like, or I can I use that in a writing package? You know what I mean? I have no idea. But I think really defining yourself as a performer really means trying to find those things that you're really good at. And again, really, it sounds like a bad word, but really exploiting that really leaning into that and going, Mm -hmm. look, if I'm a crazy, goofy, physical actor, let me do that. And let me see what comes out of that.
0: So, so lean, so lean into what you're good at. If you're, if you're getting typecast, keep, keep doing it. Cause they're casting you. Is that the idea? I, I,
1: I mean, I guess so. You know, hilariously you say that my friend wrote me today and was like, Hey, you made a show about being typecast. And then you also were just in an episode of the boys where you were typecast as that. So I <laughs> like, Hey man, it's what I know. I'm leaning into it. What's the most challenging
0: thing about being a professional performer?
1: Uh, uh, finding work Mm. i think that is the most challenging thing is knowing that you you really like what you do and you're good at it and then it's trying to go out there and find that work because it's not like applying to jobs you're not knocking on casting agents doors and handing out resumes you're Mm -hmm. waiting for your agent to call you and then your agent your agent really is that third that tertiary person who (laughs) sits on the side and goes hey uh, i got this cool guy anybody want to audition him no 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 you yeah okay great So, uh, other than that, it's all kind of easy. Again, you spend a lot of your time doing a lot of work for free, Mm -hmm. a lot of free shows, a lot of free workshops, uh, and all this, it's, it's that Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours thing, you know, you spend so much time outside building yourself that Mm -hmm. when it comes down to actually doing the job, you're, you're prepared for it. So I, I mean, again, the, the hardest thing is finding a job and keeping out of that level of stress and anxiety and beating yourself up and and questioning your life choices for mm. doing what you do. Uh, I mean, you know, I got a 10 year old kid, my wife and I do the same thing. I'm constantly going, is my art monetizable some way? Will this, <laughs> right. you know, confirm my existence? Um, but really, it's that I think it's it's finding jobs. And uh, I think the even harder thing is, is really leaning into the, I keep saying leaning into it's really, <laughs> uh, well, really what it is is leaning into yourself as a product, you right. know, we're, we're our own business venture. So we kind of have to treat ourselves and what we do as the product. So being able to kind of shed that skin of anxiety or nervousness or fear or whatever, I'm going, okay, I kind of have to be shallow now and pump myself and do whatever but I would say that when you get used to it, it really is just the job. I think especially, too, when you're in Canada, there's not a lot of jobs to go around. Mm-hmm. Canada is also one of those countries that likes to choose who the people are who get the jobs rather right. than the audience being like, hey, I really like this person. Let's give them a job, you know?
0: <laughs> I hear you. So I want to talk to you about uh, Dwarven Moss. And uh, it is an actual play DD podcast that you – that you participate in with Jay McCarroll, who plays Wendell and Tom Hodgins, who's your DM. That's For those right. who aren't familiar with the show, could you briefly describe what it is and, and what it's all about? Like, what do you guys doing?
1: Uh Yeah, this is what we came up with. It's the HBO of D&D.
0: Yeah. But so, I will go into more. Yeah, you go into more because I have a question about that, <laughs> which will follow. It's going to go out of order now.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, what it is, is uh, a, a two man go at the legendary campaign of Curse of of Strahd. Mm -hmm. Jay and I uh, had a a strong, strong urge to keep playing Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, Jay's friend, Tom, uh, is a very good dungeon master. And Tom also had the strong urge to keep going. So we asked Tom, do you want to run Curse of Strahd? He was like, yes, you know what, let me prepare. And uh, then it was just, uh, the idea is just... uh, jay and i going through the christmas trial we thought what would really be interesting too is concentrating on this two-man campaign i I feel like two-man campaigns are or two people campaigns are very rare in the world of DD. uh so we thought you know uh and as we know DD is very malleable so tom was able to bend the adventure this way and that Uh, but it was really the idea is that we uh, dwarven moss wanted to concentrate on uh being role play heavy and mm-hmm. two man adventures of official campaigns.
0: Hmm. Okay, so some, mostly you, are calling Dwarven Moss the HBO of D
1: anD D. Oh come on, let's be all—it's owned. It's Everybody's scary. It's, come okay. on.
0: I, well, I mean, technically, I just did it, so it's, well, yeah, it's so you. fair enough. Um, but it's it's very it's very professionally constructed. I want to talk to you about that more uh, sure. a little bit. But where where did that tagline come from? <laughs> and where did you get the name?
1: dwarven moss yeah uh okay so dwarven moss is (laughs) my uh, fake name for uh uh, marijuana weed that you would find in faerun it's a strain of weed dwarven moss you know the dwarves grow it in their dank stone caverns okay uh and the hbo of DD, i think was something that we were just goofing around we were trying to find taglines And we were also, I mean, as you do, you know, you sit around after you play a game and you just bask in the glory of what you just did, you know?
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: So uh, I think it was after we heard something, Jay had written music and I had to put sound effects under it. Mm -hmm. And we were just, I mean, it's it's very, uh, for lack of a better word, it's very egotistical to say, but we blew ourselves away going, holy moly, we... This is actually rather captivating to us. Yeah. Who knows if the rest of the world is going to find it. So we thought this is a good way to sell it. The HBO of d um
0: So you were talking a little bit about how you started the campaign. You're friends with Jay and, and he knew Tom. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's, the, that's the right.
1: Right order. Yeah.
0: Um, when you actually sat down, what was the, what was the genesis? Like, what was that conversation like? Was it just about, we want to play some D&D? Was it, we want to do a D&D podcast? How did that, how did that sort of take off?
1: It was, so again, we were in Meeple Mart. Jay okay. and I were at Meeple Mart. Yeah. And we thought we just want to play more because before that, so this is actually my second foray into D&D. And this is when 5e had already been out for a few years. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Jay was running his own homebrew campaign for myself, Tom, and two other friends. Okay. And as we were doing that, again, Jay and I would meet down at Meeple Mart and say, oh man, we, I love this. We should get this mini and let's paint this. And, and it was just, uh, I mean, again, what, what really too was the idea is like, look, it's, it's as is so cliche with every d d game, but it's so hard to get so many people's schedules together. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, why not just focus on the three of us? It can be really easy if it's the three of us. We had no, no intention at all to record it as a podcast. Jay is a professional musician; he scores movies, so he mm-hmm. just has all this recording equipment set up at his house. He was like, you know right. what? Let me just set up the mics. Let me just do this. We'll see. <laughs> okay. And it started with that. Now Tom was a bit hesitant. He put on the, you know, the. the the headphones felt a bit odd having to speak into the microphone felt a bit odd but those guys always lay it on me it's when i came in with such a strong character and once again yeah. when i say i love role playing i came in with this voice that was already carved out of stone with this personality that was already set and i think from there both of them went oh we're not just sitting around a table eating chips and you know, saying, how far can my magic missile go? Mm-hmm. Now we're playing with a guy who's really pushing the character. So I, re- I think it was from there. I think we had the very simple setup, but I think it was those guys going, oh, Chris is really RPing this. Let's fall into that. So that's kind of how it grew is me just choosing a really strong character. And then all of us going, okay, this can be more this can be bigger. This can be deeper. This could be
0: right. I think the thing that's unique about Dwarven Moss, as you mentioned, is that there are only two players for the love of God. How did you settle on just two players? This to say that a two player game is rare would be putting too fine a point on it. I think (laughs) more, more or less, more or less a two player game doesn't exist. So how did you, was it just based on scheduling, what were the dynamics involved in that decision? Cause it was yeah. a, it is a, it is a bit of a risk in some ways, right?
1: It is a big risk. Yeah. Because you don't know, I mean, you don't know how tough it's going to be. You don't know how lenient you have to be mm-hmm. as a DM on the yeah. players. Uh, it really honestly, Gary, it came out of the urge just to play. Mm-hmm. It, it was, yeah. Like you say it was scheduling and it was the urge of wanting to, to play more. And it really, kind of defined us it, it you know putting those constraints on us actually gave us a bit of a clearer path mm-hmm. and storytelling wise I think that was really the basis of it is that we got to tell a story just in a different way than when you're sitting around you know a critical role they can all six seven people can sit around and you'll have someone you know staring at their sheets or whatever With two people, you're constantly engaged, Mm -hmm. constantly. And with one DM, there are moments where a DM can just sit back and listen to two people just role play for 15 minutes. Or a DM has to be three, four different people in a row or have a long conversation. So there's something a lot more intimate that we Got out of doing it to people, and then we really started liking that, and really going. This is something that's quite unique.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it, it definitely puts the puts for for you as a performer. I'm sure it's not not that big of a deal, but it definitely puts the the focus on you and your scene partner because you're you're the whole show. Your DM is is sort of setting the scene for you, but ultimately, you're driving the bus. <laughs>
1: and that's why my thing was you know again being a performer having you know thousands and thousands of hours behind me going you know if our sessions are going to last four to six hours mm -hmm. and we're going to meet once a week for you know eight to ten months then you better have something strong something you can hold on to but also something that's just as malleable as the game Mm -hmm. so a character that can change a character that can have these very dramatic soliloquies or very deep, dark secrets that can be unfolded over many, many sessions over hours.
0: Mm-hmm. Why, why did the three of you settle on Curse of Strahd uh, as the setting for Dwarven Moss?
1: That was the one that Tom was most excited about running. Now, mm-hmm. he is the uh, I think he has the most history with Dungeons and Dragons out of Jay and I. And he knew Ravenloft being one of the very early, early first campaigns. Mm -hmm. He knew that the original authors had come back to do this updated one for 5e. Yeah, And I think it was also because we were used to, uh, you know, we had just done Lost Mine of Fandelver to get us back into it. Yeah. Starters kit, right? We were doing a homebrew now. And Curse of Strahd was one of those ones that wasn't fantasy based. It was more more of that gothic undertone or overtone, really. Yeah. Uh, and I think there was a, a really unique uh, idea in that is that we could bring our, our fantasy knowledge uh, from the Sword Coast and from 5e that way into this newer campaign mm-hmm. that worked pretty well. I mean, we got really used to, you know, the very fantasy tropes, but there's, there is something really... I mean, I'm running Curse of Straw now for Friends, my okay. wife and three other Friends. And I love it. There's something. So have you ever played it? You ever no, played it?
0: I, I I actually haven't. Um, oh. I, there's a couple of the hardcovers that I haven't played. And that's
1: one of them. I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. It's great storytelling. And it also is a fantastic uh, gauntlet for a dungeon master to run through. It's great for you to get to know how to run a game and how to run it your way and uh, how to use just a plethora of material that they give you. There's so much stuff, but it's so great.
0: And they just, obviously, it's one of the more popular books because it was the first that they chose to relaunch. That's right. With their Curse of Strahd revamped. Yeah. And I mean, two things. One, it says a lot about the strength of the adventure of that's going to be their lead into this new product. 100%. Because I see them now if people are willing to buy a deluxe edition, it's like, uh, it's like a remastered edition of a video game. It's like people are shelling out the exact same amount of, or more for the yeah. same content with.
1: Sick. So. And you know what? I mean, uh, God bless Reddit and all the Reddit users because there's a curse of Strahd subreddit that mm-hmm. is basically like just appendices to the book itself. That are all generated by people who love the game mm-hmm. it's it's amazing I, I found some incredible original art to include and in, you know we're all playing on roll 20 now yeah yeah of course but uh some incredible original art to throw in there are people who are just like this game has been insanely inspiring for so many different artists and now having played it and now dungeon mastering i can see why it's a really great world it's got great characters and I think the one thing actually that sets it apart from a lot of other campaigns is that, you know, who the bad guy is off the top. Mm-hmm. It's called the curse of Strahd. Like it would be like star Wars being called Darth Vader. Yeah. You know? So there's already a connection. I think people are already uh, interested. What is a Strahd? Who is this? I mean, we know he's a vampire, but what, what's the deal? Uh, so there's an, an immediate uh, uh, hook there. Whereas other ones just don't really have that. It's the title of something that's a bit more broad. You know, you don't have an immediate connection to, you know, with The Lost Mind of Phandelver, I've run that three times now for Mm -hmm. uh, different groups. And it's really, that's very open-ended. There's no real connections that the character feels to any of the other storylines or the world or whatever. It's fun. It's a great entry level. Uh, But there's just something... Extremely. Also, I don't think there's a, another like gothic horror. No, you know, I mean other than the you know your classic kind of Call of Cthulhu stuff or your vampire stuff. But this this being an official D D campaign, yeah, uh, it's it, it's very well done.
0: And obviously, the gothic horror element is. Not something that they want to shy away from because obviously they announced in May the Ravenloft campaign setting is going to right. be allowed people make to create their own campaigns uh, yeah. set in uh, set in Ravenloft. So it's definitely something that is resonating with people for sure.
1: Hundred percent, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that's also a subgenre that isn't really going away anytime soon. You know, mm-hmm. Gothic horror is something I think that people just adore. And to have it again, have it in a D&D setting is really fantastic.
0: Yeah. And I, I think you hit on something. Part of the reason why it's so popular is like you know who the villain is off the top. It's almost like a show that tells you who the villain is at the beginning and then builds up to the story of how that either how that person became the villain or how their the person is brought down. Yeah. So in that way, it's a bit of a different, it's not a mystery you're trying to unravel. It's you're you're given this this information. And now what do you do with that information?
1: 100%,
0: 100%. I wanted to touch back on, on, on something about the the level of quality in the production of the podcast, because there's a lot of D D podcasts out there. And I definitely want to talk stream actual streams of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yours sets it is set apart just because of the overall level of sound quality, original music, sound effects the way it's produced how how do all of you work that on the back end like how do you separate that work what's your process when you're putting one of these episodes together because it's i haven't i haven't listened to the whole campaign but definitely yeah. what i've listened to is is quite impressive and from somebody who produces games like that it's definitely really nice to listen to
1: well thank you so much thanks for listening i mean yeah it is it's quite the undertaking. Um, the first and foremost, we did a lot of research onto what we liked about Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. podcasts and what we thought wanted to listen to. And I think the first thing that really stuck out to us is, uh, ju- they're all just so long, you know what I mean? And that, that isn't a bad thing. That was just one of our observations is that we didn't want to do one of those long where, you know, you're listening to an episode that's three, four or five hours long. Right. Um, and so what that meant was us sitting with the entire session that we recorded and chopping out bits. We chop yeah. about bits where we hum and haw or go to the bathroom or whatever. So those were the easy bits to cut. Uh, but then we get into the minutia where we're going, well, what really is pushing the story? You know, there was one a perfect example is that we got to this one building, and kind of story, natural story dictates that you're creeped out and you go into the building and you find out what mystery is there, but. As we all know, the way D&D is played, you're thinking of every different angle you can do. So Mm -hmm. we chose to go around to the back of the building and look in the windows and see if we could find. Then we went back to the front. And in our editing heads, we go, well, you know, this is part of the game, but we don't need that for the podcast. So there are are bigger role played moments that we thought these just don't need to be there for Mm -hmm. an audience to listen to if they're putting on headphones and chilling out for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so there was that. So we would really narrow down the episodes to 45 minutes, an hour, maybe an hour and a half at the most. Mm-hmm. From there uh, I would sit with it and it's just picking out sound effects. It's mixing the right weird noises together to make a, a witch cackle and cast a hellish rebuke or something mm-hmm. or something an old windmill being made with the sound of an old bicycle and a rolling pin being rolled across the table. Uh, So it was really fun for me just to do all the sound design because uh, it it, it actually came at a moment where I was thinking to myself, Hey, let me just take a, a small little snippet of this and see what I could do. I tossed it in a garage band, did a little drag and drop. And I was like, huh, this where there was nothing before, just the sound of a fire and, you know, a horse squealing or rain coming down adds such a huge um, color to the thing. Yeah. So it's a long process. It's only the three of us. Jay writes all the music by himself. We've split up a lot of the sound effect works because uh, sound effects get to become very detailed when you're doing a fight. Because there's so many different actions mm-hmm. um, and you're trying to find, you know, I'm casting thunderous smite as I'm doing a divine smite and I'm bringing it down and, and knocking over a scaffolding. So I have to find all these different sounds and yeah. when do you time it? Um, but the great thing is, is that we kind of leave each other's to our own devices. We're not really hovering over each other. Going, well, this should be here. This should be there. The nice thing is we spend a lot of time on each episode but once we're done with it we give it to the next guy the next guy does his thing and then we uh we EQ it so everything sounds good yeah and then we just pump it out there so it the process is long and arduous but fun at the end of the day when you get to listen to the whole thing
0: yeah and the the decision to make the shorter episodes is interesting because we've done in the shows that I've produced, we've done longer episodes that we've done shorter in our cyberpunk independence show, which of course uh, we're really excited for everybody to uh, announce that you're one of our, our guests on the show is we've made sort of a similar, similar decision to keep them shorter yeah, um, and to keep people more engaged and not sort of get lost and sort of trim, trim the fat of the story is like, what's, what's, what's driving this story forward if it's not driving it,
1: you Cut said it, it man. Yeah. And now let me ask you, Gary, was for you guys, was that a hard decision to make? Did you guys hum and haw over that? Or was that like a pretty glaring, like, I, yeah. It was one of those things
0: where we didn't really talk about it too much because once Emma suggested, Hey, uh, we should do shorter episodes. Yeah. It, it was sort of became what we wanted to do. It became obvious Yeah. for, for a couple reasons. One, um we thought it would get more it would have more a wider appeal right because it's more digestible a more digestible size 100 thinking if you're on the subway and you're 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 commuting to work as an hour well you've got sort of an hour there and an hour back it seems like a great a great length exactly and shorter is unique there, most of them are three or four hours people are sitting down they're yeah. not they're not in a bite-sized format so just in the hopes to to get it out there and more broadly was sort of yeah. isn't
1: that funny though too is that now there are so many d d podcasts and streams yeah that the new thing to do is to go shorter yeah. you know and even the the whole the the whole uh 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 new re rebirth of D now is only a few well at least podcasting and streaming it is only a few years old mm-hmm. so already it's kind of treading territory where you want to step away from that you want to do shorter things you want to do yeah. something different
0: and, and that's actually a great segue because it's, it leads into my next question over the past two years, especially there's been an explosion of content for D and D as entertainment, both streams, video on demand. Yeah. There are hundreds or maybe if not thousands of different streams. Why do you think D and D has become so popular as an entertainment medium? And why do you think performers, actors, comedians are moving to this as a way to um, show their talents.
1: I think it started a lot with the rise of board games again. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, five to eight to 10 years ago, we all started playing Settlers of Catan. Yeah. Right. And we all started getting together at friends' houses and playing Guitar Hero. So there was something, and I think, you know, when you're in... The, the demographic who was born in the 80s 90s I think there's some sort of nostalgia that you get from getting together with your friends sitting around a board and laughing at people you know with uh what, what's cards against humanity yeah <laughs> there, there was a, a re, the, this rebirth this swell of board games coming again and mm-hmm. i think it especially with D&D, I think there was I mean i think it, a lot of that's owed to critical role a lot of these yeah. nerdy voice actors sitting around but then i think it was um people wanting to do more than just play a board game and people always know and know there's this game dungeons and dragons why don't we give that a try and uh then it was the accessibility to it Going, i don't have the books i don't have this well, okay well they made a starter kit let's just do that uh, and then that just grew and grew to um I think the reason why performers like it so much again, cause it's just, we can perform with each other. I mean, this is a very nerdy thing for comedians, and performers to do, right? Cause yeah. we can we don't have an audience in front of us anymore. So we're just making each other laugh, but we all are such silly, ridiculous weirdos anyway, that we're not going to sit and judge each other if someone makes yeah. a weird voice or whatever. So it's, it's really a great way to just, uh, connect I think. And you know, it's crazy. Like, you, you know, that thing when you start, when you hear something and then for the first time, and then you just notice it everywhere in your world, yeah. that's beginning to happen now. I think everybody is hearing, Oh, D and D. And then people are just seeing it everywhere and they're picking up. On it. I know so many people who have started playing now. It's tons of them being co- are being our comedians. Tons of them are friends. And they're just like, we're bored. We want to start playing a new game. And D and D is definitely one of those games where, uh, you know, it, it takes a bit of a learning curve. But once you're in it, you're just like, oh man, what was that? You know, like me again years ago, sitting down and finally we're doing it. We're finally doing it. Yeah, I love the the point where I lead my players off from Neverwinter down the high road, and they turn onto the Tribord Trail, and they're suddenly they see two dead horses, and The amount of players that go from leaning backwards to leaning in the moment you put something of intrigue in there, everyone is like, okay, I want to think around this. And it's very fun to have a bunch of new players to be like, can can I, can I do this? People are so baffled at the idea that you can do anything in dungeons and dragons. And I love doing that as a dungeon master now is going like, well, I want to expand that world. Let's do anything. So, um, I think that's it. I think it's just the accessibility of it. You Mm -hmm. can do anything. And it's just that old school feeling of sitting around a table with friends and just being silly.
0: I mean, for a long time, video games were increasing in popularity and the the detachment of- People, like, couch co-op isn't really a thing anymore, no. you know, when you're playing four-player GoldenEye in 1996, like, you're sitting with your buddies, you're punching them in the nuts, like, yeah. sort of all that stuff.
1: 100%. And,
0: and that lack of connection, I think, is part of the resurgence toward couch co-op games to board games to... 100%.
1: Um, I, I also think it's one of those games that doesn't have, and this kind of, this sounds lame, but I think it's also a testament to the game is that it doesn't have uh, that very distinct line of the sand that video games did in mm-hmm. back in the day. It was like, this is a boy's thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas Dungeons and Dragons is so, to me, I look at it as like smoking or, or music or, or weed. You know what I mean? Everyone enjoys those mm-hmm. things. It's not based on one gender or another or who your yep. identity is. The beauty about this game is that you can be anything. Yeah,
0: that that. So, as somebody who's been playing, so I've I've been playing for um, just over thirty three years. Oh my. God,
1: the, and congratulations, Gary. Happy well, anniversary. I,
0: I, it's, I, thank you. Thank you. No, but the reason <laughs> I say that is because you know, you mentioned that it is accept, uh, accessible for people of all genders, and um, but that wasn't necessarily always the case. I think fifth edition, particularly, has made the game more welcoming to women. Uh, somebody told me recently that half of all the character art in the player's handbook is actually female,
1: right? Which yeah. I didn't know.
0: So, and, um, yeah. there was, um, uh, a story I, I interviewed, um, Jeremy Crawford, who is one of the oh, cool designers uh, yeah. years ago and talking about how, uh, in, I don't remember the name of the adventure, but they had a innkeeper who had a husband. They didn't make a plot point of it. He was just a guy in the world who was gay and had a husband and cool. it wasn't like a story element. So yeah. they've, they've made a concerted effort to make it welcoming. So I, I agree with you that it is a lot of people, but I think that we do need to give credit to the designers. Cause I, I do feel that that was something that they went out of their way to, to work on.
1: And I, I mean, to their credit as well, I feel like it's also something that they're continuously going out of their yeah. way to really push. Yeah. I've, I, I follow so many people on Twitter that are uh, d and lovers and writers and stuff like that. And even the whole idea, there, uh, recently there was a whole idea of uh, a designer who created a wheelchair for d and yeah. yeah. And I love that. I was like, that is the coolest uh, because why not? Right. I mean, if you have a, a human sleeping with an orc and having a half orc baby, there's yeah. no reason why you wouldn't have a wheelchair in that world. Um, so just the expansion of that, you know, a big thing, too, before I started playing uh, fifth edition, Gary, what, what got me was a, uh, a meme on Instagram that showed the official artwork in the player's handbook for a human. Okay and a human you normally think oh just a you know stereotypical just white guy holding a shield and a sword right but mm-hmm. it was a black woman and she had these braids and dreads and a very stereotypical DD uh armor on but it was just that sense of that black woman now stands for in the world of DD humans and to be to be able to just see that level of representation in something that's so insanely nerdy yeah to all those females and all those people of color out there the black folk and brown folk and asian folk everyone just seeing that one picture was like well that's different just in and of itself just to see that image Mm -hmm. represent a human is huge um so yeah i mean to your point i think they they keep making it more and more accessible and i think that's the beauty of this world and this game is that it just can be. It lends itself to being the most accessible game.
0: Yeah, I, the the thing that I love about Dungeons & Dragons is that you can sit down with a people of mixed genders and races and uh, ethnicities and religions, and they can all find a home around that table and be equally participatory. There aren't that many activities that are that, um, that can connect i think people yeah are from that so are many that really inclusive really yeah yeah, yeah.
1: so and i think there's a beauty in that too because a lot of people you know dungeons and dragons isn't a public game you don't sit on a stage and go ha ha. i mean you do randomly at some <laughs> events or whatever but yeah it's really an intimate game shared with uh friends
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i think that's also the beauty of it is that they see that they say you know what you can be anything we can have transgendered folk and and folk uh, muslim folk and whoever sit around a table and not have to be hyper aware of who they are because now they get to play someone just completely different yeah and there really is a beauty to that
0: uh, a- absolutely i i i love dungeons and dragons Me I mean i love dungeons and dragons man i love it uh, chris th- thanks so much for your time today really appreciated chatting with you where can people find dwarven moss if they wanted to check
1: out what you guys are doing they can go to dwarvenmoss.com or .ca. I don't know. I think they both work. Uh, you know what? Go to dwarvenmoss.ca. Let's just make it Canadian official. <laughs> uh, uh, you can I'll, find us on Twitter and Instagram too, at dwarvenmoss.
0: I'll make sure to put a link to all of these in our show notes. Chris, thanks again for uh, chatting with me today. Uh, I thank really you, brother. Much it. appreciated. It. Well, that's my show for this week. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Chris. You can check out Dwarven Moss at dwarvenmoss.ca. Thanks for joining me, and remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count.